Welcome to Responsibility Revolution. This is Vincent Castellanos. Responsibility Revolution is taking responsibility for all things you. No one is responsible for your well-being. You are. Today we are introducing a new segment called Responsible Conversations. So every couple of weeks, I'm going to bring in a guest who will talk to us about their own responsibility revolution and what they can share with us, which will help us on our own individual journey to our own true essence. Often these are external changes that will benefit both the individual going through it and the world around them. Clearly, these episodes are going to be a little bit longer than our usual five to 10 minute format, but I know you're going to get a lot out of it. So our guest today is Christina Lear. Christina is an organizer with Showing Up for Racial Justice, an L.A. affiliate, White People for Black Lives. She has been involved with the work to stop the $3.5 billion jail expansion plan since the launch of the Justice L.A. Coalition and the subsequent inception of Reform L.A. Jails. She was a lead organizer for White People for Black Lives mobilization during the ballot qualification phase. Christina serves as a regional field director for the current mobilization, now in the voter contact, and soon to be get out the vote face for Vote Yes on R, which we will be voting for on March 3rd, which is tomorrow. Christina is also a writer, director, and actor, currently developing a series about the aftermath of a sexual assault told from dual perspective. And she's also a wife and a mother. Well, Christina, that's a lot of stuff you got going on. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for accepting this invitation. Absolutely. I, uh, I have great respect for you and what it is that you're doing. So I know you, but our listeners don't know you. So just tell me a little bit about how you got, what was it that prompted you to get involved with community politics? That's a good question, and I spend a lot of time thinking about that. And I think there's there's kind of a particular moment that was a catalyst for me to seek out anti-racist work, particularly in Los Angeles. And it had to do with a conversation I had with my daughter about uh, the killing of Michael Brown and the acquittal of Darren Wilson, for who was the cop who shot him. When I heard the verdict, I was upset by it, and my daughter, who was like five at the time, came into the room and asked me what was wrong. And so we started to have a conversation. And she said, why would a cop kill a kid? And I said, that's a good question. And she said, how old was Michael Brown? And he was 18, which was how old my daughter's brother was at the time. And I don't know whether she was going to ask this question, but it looked in my mind, I saw in her eyes her thinking, if a cop could kill Michael Brown, why couldn't a cop kill me or my brother? And I wanted her to feel safe. And I realized in that moment that I could say to her, the chances of that happening to you or your brother are pretty unlikely. But what I also realized in that moment was that if I could articulate her safety by describing the lack of safety that Michael Brown and his mother Leslie experienced, that that wasn't actually safety but that was participation in a system that I, I couldn't live with. And, and more so that it was 
a system that was that was designed to be that way. It was designed to make one some people feel safe at the lack of safety of others. And it connected to me with something that I felt for all, as long as I can remember, I don't really know why, that the current incarcer- system of incarceration and prison is modern-day slavery, basically. So we had our first conversation about racism, really. And, um, and then I tried to talk to some of her friend's parents about it, and they didn't want to talk about it. And that really concerned me. And so I thought there's got to be some people who are having this conversation, and particularly there's got to be somebody who's like talking to other white people about, about this. And I was dissatisfied with my own inability to have effective conversations with other middle-class white people, basically. And so I was introduced to white people for black lives. When I wrote to them, I was asked, What's your, what, what is your interest lie? And why are you seeking out an anti-racist organization? And I spoke about some experience I had teaching in a youth prison and my feelings about modern-day slavery. And, and so when Justice LA formed, I was asked if that was work that I would be interested in getting involved in. And I just kind of leapt. I didn't know at the time that Los Angeles was the biggest jail system in the world. You know, the first building that was built in Los Angeles was a jail. It, the, J- Justice LA is a grassroots organization of 40 organizations that have been working mostly directly impacted people, um, formerly incarcerated, families of incarcerated people who have been working to try to stop this jail expansion plan for over the last decade. And so it was an, it was an, a massive education to me also in what it means to center work that is being led by the people who are most impacted by the systems that are um, perpetuating this this cycle of oppression. This is absolutely fascinating, Christina, because what I hear you say as well is that what motivated you to go into this was the desire or the need and definitely the willingness to become a responsible parent. It was almost as if not only were you taking responsibility for yourself in terms of like, you know, making a difference, but you were then trying to protect your daughter, trying to secure a better future for your daughter or at least a safer world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's profound. I think to be able to have that kind of access to yourself and then to have the courage to actually do something about it. Hmm. It's remarkable. Can you tell me a little bit about how long you've, when did this original conversation happen and how many years has it been? It was sometime around, well, the acquittal, I think, was in 2015. So it was sometime around then because it was also during the early stages of Sander, Bernie Sanders's first presidential primary race because I was also struggling with why he was avoiding the question of race. So I remember it being about that time. So it was sometime in 2015. Tell me a little bit about the actual journey from when you stepped into these organizations and where you are with it now and where they are with it now, because I know they're getting ready to go and vote on, on tomorrow, so that's significant. Yeah. So I'd just like to know a little bit of that journey, because I think sure. it's fascinating, and your involvement in it. So when Justice LA formed, we, White People for Black Lives, which is a... Uh, a white-led anti-racist group that um, works. It's a national organization that works in solidarity with black-led and people of color-led social movements. And 
when Justice LA was formed, White People for Black Lives was asked to be one of the 40 organizations at the table. And that was, again, an invitation um, and an acknowledgement of how we were centering our organizing. And so there, so we worked together, like one of the first things that we did was organize a town hall in Board of Supervisors Sheila Kuehl's district um, because we were asked to try to bring people into the conversation around incarceration that previously hadn't been. You know, white people vote in the highest numbers in L.A. County, um, and they're you know, disproportionately the, it's not that incarceration doesn't affect white people. Um, uh, and there aren't white people being arrested and, and convicted. And in the years since then, I've, I've learned this considerably. They are disproportionately, you know, we have 8% black people in LA County, 40% of the people in jail are black. So the, the disparity is really massive. And so we were asked to bring people into the conversation that previously hadn't been. Um, and, and so we had this big town hall. That was one of the first things that we did. And for a couple of years, we worked um, with Justice LA around gaining public support to say in LA that we don't need $3.5 billion spent on more jails. What we need are community-based alternatives that provide adequate and compassionate care for people that, uh, that need and deserve that opportunity free of uh, incarceration. And despite public support, the Board of Supervisors still wouldn't move. And so Patrice Cullors and some other organizers were uh, advised to go to policy. And so that was where Reform LA Jails was created. It's a local ballot measure that we're going to vote on on March 3rd that was completely community-led. So basically, we went around the elected officials to the people of L.A. County and gathered 250,000 signatures in 107 days to get on the ballot. And now we're on the presidential primary ballot. And it's the first time that the people of L.A. County have been able to have a say about what we want to do with our tax dollars around providing care for people instead of caging them. And so it's an incredible testament to the power that can be created when people get involved locally. This is amazing. And then obviously tomorrow we'll find out and we'll get the results and hopefully it'll be positive result. But regardless of all of that, what I want to talk a little bit about is you have now been able to take something from an idea to an actual thing, something to be voted on. And I want you to share with us, if you will, please, Christina, the impact that has had on you as a person. So I think there is some innately civic-minded quality to me that I, I can't really take responsibility for. I'm also a theater person, and that is a communal event. And so... It, it, I, there's something intrinsic about it that I don't feel was like a decision I made. Um, but I guess what I did make a decision about was I recognized a discomfort in myself and I recognized that I couldn't, I don't know, that I, that I, I was more curious than I was afraid, you know? And I think when you said, has it changed something in me, it's given me enormous, um, belief through hardcore experience of what can happen when even one person talks to another person. What you're talking about is 
kind of like the essence of taking personal responsibility because by taking personal responsibility, it doesn't mean that I'm going to live in this vacuum of myself. It just means that I'm going to make myself so much more available to the world around me. I can see already in what you've done how, regardless of whether or not you've had another conversation with Helen, your daughter, uh, since, which I'm sure you have, but I know for a fact that what she's seen in you, it's a power of example that will make a difference in her life. I can tell you from the outside that I know that's already been impacting your life in that way, and it's very powerful because it's all about action. It's not about having a conversation or about thinking about something. It's about what am I going to do with this information that's coming up for me? And it's very, very powerful. I think oh, this is kind of like a, a touchy subject, but it's like we live in this world where we're being led, our president, by someone who is the epitome of not taking responsibility. So this idea of taking responsibility for ourselves in a more broader way, in this case, specifically community government, community uh, politics and all of that, it's so important. It is so very important. Tomorrow is Super Tuesday and it's so important to vote because what our president is setting the example for doesn't have to be my example. I don't have to follow in those footsteps. I can take responsibility for myself in that aspect of my life and start to do the things much like what you've done to change a specific situation that doesn't sit well, right? And in so doing, create an effect that is, that is broad. And I believe that if all of us did our part in that way, call me idealistic, I think we would have a better world. I think we get along much better. I believe so deeply, and I think it's what's, what is behind my love of acting and my love of theater and my love of, is, is about communication. It's about a desire to connect to another human being. And um, a part of this mobilization that we've done was called deep canvassing. And it's a method that was, I mean, the, 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 the tools of, of going and asking direct questions and talking to people about their personal stake and making a direct ask about action is something that actually goes back to black organizing in the South in, during the civil rights movement. This current iteration of it that we used um, uh, came out of the LGBTQ community around the fight for same-sex marriage um, when it kept losing around the country. And the community in California when it lost for I think the 40th time and when everybody thought they were going to win um, the community got together and said what is going on and why are people seemingly saying they're going to vote in favor of same-sex marriage and then when they go to a ballot box they don't and so they decided to go out and talk to people who voted against them about why and what has come of it is this conversation model that is about just that and so we we um we did the first iteration around jails and incarceration so we basically all under the umbrella of talking about measure r went out and specifically sought people who we didn't think would be in support of this kind of reform to talk to them about their ideas about jails and incarceration and also their real lived experience and the two don't always match up, right? Like we're given a lot of information about public safety and 
and the police are there to take care of us and all this stuff. And But when you talk to people about their real lived experience around jails and incarceration, around mental health and addiction, it's it's a different thing. When people talk about somebody they know or they talk about their own experience, it's, it's, not, a, a, it's not a fictional story. And so they get to have the, the, like you get to watch people's sort of unconscious story come out with their real lived experience. And sometimes they get to move what they think about something, right? So when you go to someone and you just give them a fact, it lasts for like 48 hours. But when you go to somebody and you talk to them about things that matter, it lasts over time, including how they vote. So I believe with every fiber of my being and this strategic experience of organizing has shown me even more that we need to talk to each other. In the um, 18 months since we qualified for the ballot measure, the Board of Supervisors has canceled the $3.5 billion jail expansion plan. Wow. Because they started to hear, oh, hey, it's not just this group of, like, there are a lot of people who are saying this. And so that right there is a direct example of the power of what happens when people go out. And so many people we talk to don't know that we live in the largest jail system in the world. They have no idea that it, that the vast majority of our budget goes to law enforcement and incarceration. Um and we need to if we're going to take responsibility. Exactly. And there's a couple of things here. One is what you said about, like, we need to talk to one another. We need one another. It's, I, I, I always say that we absolutely do need to talk to one another because there's my belief is that there's no difference between you and me. We just have different information. And so in communicating, we share information and that unites us. And in that unification, we grow stronger and we can make a bigger difference more than just in my particular life, but in our lives, which is so powerful. And I hope that we can continue to move on that. And the other thing that I want to say to our listeners is like a lot of you are not in L.A. and we're talking very specifically about this thing that's happening in L.A. tomorrow. But I want you to think of this as a power of example for something that you can do in your community, in your state, in your city, in your town, wherever you are, that can be done. Is there something that you don't like, something that doesn't sit well with you, that you've been wanting to do something about? What Christina has talked to us tonight, today, is exactly that. Something that didn't resonate with her, something that didn't sit well with her, something that got her attention because of a conversation with her daughter. She was able to turn it around and five years later is going out to be voted on. So that's what I want you to think about when you listen to this. Yes, it's very specific to L.A., but how will this translate to where you are in wherever you are? Australia, the United States, Spain, wherever you are. How does this translate? What is it that needs to change in your community that you've been thinking about? So, um, wow, Christina, this is so amazing. I am so proud of you. I'm so impressed by you. I am so grateful to you and the work you're doing. Um, I love that you're making such a difference in the world. I just wanted to say one thing to the L.A. specificness. Yes, this ballot measure is L.A. County specific. And as the largest jail system in the world, there are lots of jail expansion plans going on around the country. And so this fight is being watched on a national and global scale. So it's also the way that, like, you know, local work can ripple out 
around the country. Yeah. And the other thing that just came to me as I was, as I keep listening to you, so many things come to my mind, but one of the things that just came to me is what a difference it makes when you walk this world fully aware, fully in your body. Had it not been for that conversation with your daughter, none of this would have happened. Had you not been completely aware and in touch with who you are, who your daughter is, and really in communication with her, really seeing her and listening to her, none of this would have happened. And I think that's a really beautiful kind of like little gift to put forth, especially to all the parents are there. You know, are you really watching? Are you really seeing your child, your kid? Are you really listening to your kid? I think that's really, really key here because look at what a difference is made in your life, which will then make a difference in the lives of perhaps millions of people. I think you bring up an important point, which is that I think so much of this, and, and I think it goes to like when you say, what do you think it is that got you out of the house, so to speak? I think so much of what is being asked of us is to be, is to be willing to be uncomfortable um, and to not avoid discomfort, um, and that comfort really isn't what we think it is, you know? And so it's that weird, like, yes, it takes a lot of time, and yes, it takes a lot of work, and yes, it's been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of conversations and phone calls and asks, and but the transformative experience it's generative, I think is what I'm saying. And, and, the, and the discomfort is generative. The, you know, so when, when I think I just need to be comfortable and I need to not, you know, cause a ripple or whatever, I, it's like I've just, I literally am closing myself in. And, and so the, the, the willingness to be uncomfortable Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, uh, you know me, so you know this, but it's like I believe that discomfort brings with it a lot of information I need to have. So my job is to embrace the discomfort and go in. Go in, break it down, break it apart, see what needs to be looked at, see what I need to change. Discomfort is actually a gift. So um, we usually end our episodes by doing an invitation to our listeners to do something for the week or for the day or whatever. So I have an idea what I want to invite them to do, but is there anything you want to offer our, our listeners as like a little invitation to do something? Well, if you haven't voted already, um, I would ask you to vote yes on Measure R, which is a ballot measure, so it's at the bottom of the ballot, but this year it's also right above the presidential candidates. And I, and I would make a plug for if you happen to be white and curious about these things to check out Showing Up for Racial Justice. There are, I think, 137 chapters around the country. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. And oh, the only thing I'll add to that is that Super Tuesday is tomorrow. So vote, 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 vote. Your vote counts. You count. So please vote. So I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you, Christina, so much. It's been amazing. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want to thank you guys for listening. If you want to talk to me, I definitely want to talk to you. So hit me up. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Responsibility Revolution. I hope you have enjoyed it. And I hope that you subscribe so you can receive it every Monday. 
Also, remember that Responsibility Revolution is a way of life that requires work. If you're interested in finding out more about the type of work we can do together on the corporate level on a one-on-one, please feel free to contact me at theresponsibilityrevolution.com. I really look forward to hearing from you.